Welcome to the IAB UK podcast. Hello and welcome to the IAB UK podcast. From the IAB, I'm James Chandler with another episode focused on those consumer behavioural trends we've seen as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. Today, we turn the focus onto e-commerce, undoubtedly one of those areas that has seen phenomenal growth in the past eight months. Not only have existing online shoppers upped how much they've been transacting on the internet, but whole swathes of the population who might only ever have been light online buyers are now purchasing more than ever via websites and apps. To get into the detail of exactly what's driven this unprecedented growth, I talked to Himera Mahmood, e-business and commercial insight lead, and Axel Fiadu, senior e-business development manager, both from Nestle. And they were joined by Gavin Stirat, chief operating officer at Adimo. And I started by asking Gavin to set the scene on what's been happening to e-commerce since the UK lockdown back in March. So I think over the last seven months, we have seen um, quite clearly a huge amount of disruption in our lives. And obviously, um, when it comes to retail and e-commerce, those disruptions have had a significant effect in terms of the things that people are able to do. Um, and, and some of those um, behaviours, you know, they've been a direct result of uh, instructions from our, our various different governments across the world, lockdown rules. Um, you know, if you look at um, the amount of shoppers and footfall who are going into retailers, um, IBM did some research into this and the, the numbers in Q1 uh, showed a decline of around 25% versus Q4 of last year. Um, I think, you know, we would typically expect a decline anyway mm. because uh, Q4 is the festive period. Um, but they saw a very big decline going from Q1 into Q2 where we saw a 75% decline. Now, again, that would be, you know, very likely largely attributable to lockdown measures and the fact that a lot of shops were closed um, and people were not going out and about. So the interesting thing is trying to figure out like how much of um, the behaviours that people had to learn or or use more of will stick as we sort of come out of totally. you know the various stages of lockdown that we're in. Um, that IBM research, uh, one of its goals was to try and forecast uh, what the impact would be on the industry. And mm. they estimated that the, the effect of the pandemic was to push the the industry forwards, I guess, in terms of adoption of e-commerce by around five years wow. um, in just six months. So a huge disruptor. And if you, if you sort of delve into lots of different smaller things, then it sort of becomes easy to see yeah. why why that happened. Yeah, and, and we're, we're, we're going to get into it a bit more, but there's, there's so many uh, other things. You mentioned the IBM study there, uh, Gavin. Nike have said that they expect a permanent shift to online sales rather than a, an in-store environment. Uh, Audi, of course, have said that they're weighing up a move to, to go online. And, and back in June, the chief executive of Ocado said that, and this is basically what you've just been saying now, he said the coronavirus lockdown has led to a permanent redrawing uh, of the retail landscape. Um, Homera, what, what's been the biggest factor for you? Is it 
some of the consumer behavior that Gavin's talked about? Is it how retails have responded? Is it new entrants that we've seen come into this uh, econ market? What have been some of the things that, that have surprised you, I guess? So I would say it was a mixture of all of the three factors that um, Gavin spoke about and that you just mentioned, James. Um, so I guess back in March when panic buying started, what was happening from an online point of view was the grocery websites and apps were receiving record levels yeah. of traffic. Um, but they were, you know, they were often crashing. There just wasn't enough capacity. Um, and, you know, like finding a delivery slot was gold. Just, um, <laughs> you know, we, we were looking at all of the comments on social media yeah. and, uh, yeah, uh, nobody could find a delivery slot. However, what I, what I think has happened that was really positive is the industry responded really quickly mm. um, and found solutions like online queuing systems, increasing capacity. So whether that be more online pickers, more fans, mm. more drivers. Um, we also saw um, people trying new methods of fulfillment like click and collect. Um, there were new apps popping up to support convenience stores with their deliveries, essential boxes um, and so on. So while it was difficult at the start, mm. um, I think the industry responded really quickly and innovatively to find ways to feed the nation. And it kind of feels like uh, having that happen means that should we go back into a scenario and of course parts of the country are are, are almost there uh, to that kind of real peak lockdown again it feels like we're better prepared than perhaps we were the first time round um, when it comes to things like this yeah I, yeah I, 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 I totally agree um we also saw like new entrants into the channel so we saw food service selling groceries in in london so from quite upmarket restaurants mm. to places like leon um last mile delivery providers so we saw collaborations between uber eats and cost cutter yeah, yeah, yeah. delivery and shell um and then also i think we were talking earlier about the the fast growth of d2c like gusto or HelloFresh, and we've even seen like manufacturers like nestle and even heinz um entering into that space where we we previously wouldn't have i read a fascinating stat earlier today that just eat now has a, a market cap which is greater than the combined volume of British Airways, Rolls-Royce and Sainsbury's. Wow. I mean, unthinkable. If you'd have said that to someone at the end of uh, last year, I think you'd have, it would have been one of those things you kind of chuckle at. But Just Eat, in a way, have taken that sort of feed into the nation to the the next uh, level in a different way. Uh, Axel, I'd I'd love to come to you and and build on that. This whole thing that Gavin and Hamira talked about is this idea of, of rapid speed stuff that would have typically maybe taken three years has been squashed into three months because it just it just had to uh, tell us a bit about that particularly as it relates to you know supermarkets and grocers where the demand for them was just so sudden yeah and i think what what has happened is really simple um you know on how that has accelerated also from a business perspective is we all had to put our a professional mindset back into a consumer shoes and we all you know experience um, having to buy online for our own household mm. so I think that really helped um, the teams um, across all different businesses really experience you know firsthand what's happening um, in the grocery in the grocery world so whether that's um, you know at the CEO level or at the CMO level and across all um, different teams in the organizations we all had to experience that and I think that has really helped get the focus um, for online as a channel 
um, across all you know different expertise. So the we've seen the level of engagement, um, you know, from an internal side, but also from a retailer side, really mm. accelerates, and that, I think that really what contributed to to that. I think across all teams, it, you know, they're all we're all pushing for kind of a, a first mover mindset. Mm. It, we've all understood it's not part of winning online is not part of um, something separate, something on the side, something to add to a strategy. We need to live and breathe that, mm. you know, in all of our roles on a daily basis. And that's, that's really something important when working with our retailers um, and vice versa. Do you think, you know, you think about, uh, we had um, Tom Wallace, who's the CMO at Gusto on this podcast uh a few months ago and you know he was saying demand was such that they had to stop taking orders because you know um they were struggling to fulfill them do you think um a time like this smaller more agile businesses you know they're awash with data they own all they've got direct relationship with their customers do you think it's been easier for businesses like that and many others than it is maybe some of the bigger established businesses which of course were um, trying to make sure they got the fulfillment in the store as well as trying to do all of the stuff that they were doing online. Do, do, do you think it was a level playing field or if you're a, a smarter, more agile business, you're more likely to sort of win in inverted commas? I think um, probably, uh, you know, a couple of uh, probably in a smaller player do have an advantage in, um, you know, the, from, from a scale perspective. I think the, the real opportunity for businesses like us is the exact that exact scale from a long term perspective. So, yeah. mm. yes, probably, um, you know, sp spotting an opportunity and having something in one week is a bit of a challenge. However, um, we do have a lot. I would say a lot more strength in you know, around insights, um, around you know relationships, um, around the diversity in our teams and our different function as well. Um, to also think about long term, um, so I think it's a bit of a balance um, in terms of benefit of being agile, um, but not just thinking from a short term perspective. But what what are the things that are here to stay that we can you know start leveraging now yeah. um, and think think a bit more about that long term strategy. So that's really how I think. Um, we should have a have a look at it really. When you look at the retailers, so if you look at like the big supermarkets, the the Tesco's, the Sainsburys, um, versus you know the the brands that have been big challengers over the last decade, the discounters like um, Aldi, um, you know Aldi has been used to disrupting over the last decade on price primarily, um, and the pandemic has been incredibly disruptive to mm. them because they didn't have online deliveries or they certainly did not have um, anywhere near the same depth of relationships and supply chains to get yeah. goods to the consumer. So I think, you know, it, the pandemic affected different companies of different sizes in different ways. And although you're right, mm -hmm. I think being smaller leads to potentially a greater ability to be more agile. You, if you don't have established processes and systems and distribution networks, it can equally be a challenge as much as a benefit being small. Um, and, you know, I think it was mentioned earlier, but partnerships have had to be formed, like mm. Aldi partnered with Deliveroo, um, and Aldi are now offering click and collect. So mm. those businesses are having to put in place pretty dramatic changes to catch up with the bigger guys, albeit, you know, they, they, they have been winning on price. Um, over the last couple of years it's a funny thing disruption because when you're the one doing the disrupting it's kind of on your terms but uh as you say when it's this sort of mass disruption it's sort of very very different isn't it um it's, yeah. yeah it's a really really interesting point of view um Hamera, we, we talked a bit at the start gavin was talking about 
that the big question is what are those lockdown behaviors that we look back and we think you know they'll be confined to history and just something we did in those few months when we couldn't leave our homes and what are the ones that where we fundamentally changed and we're going to change for the for uh, for the long term what's your what's your take on that perhaps on some of the things that you think will stick in terms of new consumer behaviors that we've adopted in the last six seven months um, so I think some of the some of the consumer behaviours that will will stick around will definitely be you know that um, focus on hygiene, mm-hmm. uh, cleanliness, um, just that whole you know reducing contact. Um, I think there'll be an increased focus on health and well-being and you know how people keep up their immune systems from a from a shopping point of view. Um, or online specifically, well, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but uh, <laughs> looking at the latest Canton numbers, um, it seems to be tracking at around 12% um, for take-home grocery. Um, and actually, I think that's probably going to stay there or thereabouts as we move through, like, um, autumn and winter and early into next year. Mm. Because people have now kind of got used to online shopping, they've formed that habit. Um, as we were saying before, they've realised actually it's convenient. Mm. Um, and there were some recent stats from the IGD that were saying actually shopper satisfaction with online shopping has increased over the last few months. Wow. Um, so, so I think online shopping will 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 continue. I don't think we'll see another necessarily another like huge surge unless something changes in the situation but we've added capacity to the the channel now and i think more or less that will that will remain there's tiny smaller behaviors as well isn't just the just the idea of people paying by a contactless card or or via your phone i mean we've we've had the technology in stores for so long we've had the technology on our phones or in our wallets or purses with with uh with nfc for so long yet Lots of people. I think about my parents. My dad, he, just, he, he loves cash. He likes coins and he likes notes in his pocket. Yet, when you're forced into a scenario where you have to do it, like people just adopt it, and it would seem strange that once you've tried contactless and it's so so easy to do something that you would go back to having sort of wallets full of um, uh, wallets full of cash. It is like a barrier that a lot of people had to, you know, like technology mm. and contactless, just like you were saying. But they've been for they've been forced yeah. to kind of. You know, there's no choice, and mm. then they've really realised actually this makes life so much easier. Yeah, totally. And and ju- just on that, do you think that um, is there a is there a willingness to to try new things? Do you think with consumers because so much of our world now is uncertain. We don't know when we're going to go back into the office. We don't know if we're going to be in a region that's going to go back into lockdown. There's so so much uncertainty at the moment. Does that mean that people just revert to things that they they know and love? You know, and I'm thinking about the choices they make uh, in, in shopping or are people sort of desperate to try new things because everything feels so samey and sl- slightly Groundhog Day at times? Uh, so I I think probably for uh, uh, during the time of the pandemic, we definitely saw um, people harking back to, um, you know, like trusted brands. Yeah. Um, so branded versus private label. We did see um, a shift there. Just... Um, things that give them a bit of security Mm. or anchoring especially during that time when things were you know really really uncertain um and and you know that might remain to a greater or lesser extent for a while but i i do think as we kind of you know hopefully move out of this situation Mm. um there will be lots of opportunity for innovation and you know people have as we were saying before 
you know, realize that some of the tech and some of those things are actually not that bad and they make life easier. So I think once 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 we're all feeling a bit more yeah. settled and stable, um, there'll be lots of opportunity for innovation. If I can add to that as well, um, I think we're at very interesting points um, of FMCG and specifically grocery mm. kind of landscape fragmentation and at the same time consolidation. Um, so, you know, you, Humira mentioned restaurants delivery before and including, you know, super premium um, type of segments targeting. But, you know, when we see the likes of also um, brand new players coming in into the delivery sector, mm. we're seeing Lola Cupcake uh, being able to deliver groceries now. We're seeing um, all of the, you know, recipe boxes, um, you know, being a solution for shoppers um, to actually plan their evening meal. It's quite interesting to see how we're going to find you know the, the insights and the data showing that some people yeah. um you know visit less stores potentially and probably um will re will rely a bit less on traditional classical um grocery retailer um route to market but might have a lot of all very different smaller players on the side that can be part of their options as well um, so it'll be interesting to see what if that's going to stick um, in the future as well. One of the interesting other trends, which is you know not directly related to related to retail, but as a direct result of the pandemic and the fact that we're all working from home, um, probably partly driven by the fact that we're not commuting, but mm. we're now spending um, more time online than we ever did. The stats. Um, I can't remember where they came from, but the stats put the average amount of time that consumers are spending online now at 41 hours a week, which is up 30% on pre-pandemic levels. Um, and I think what that obviously does is, you know, obviously we're going to be spending uh, time working. And I think there's been some research into the fact that people are maybe even working a little bit more yeah. um, if their job <laughs> yeah. hasn't been affected, yeah. partly because of the, the work-home boundary mm. um, being blurred a little bit, partly because, you know, people just want to make sure that they're keeping their job secure. Um, but what that does is it means that consumers are spending more time online, they're maybe being exposed to more uh, messages or they're maybe just open to exploring more options mm. and that kind of uh, to that point about, you know, trying new things and whilst consolidation feels like it's happening at the same time, people are trying other things and I don't know, looking for ways to entertain themselves when we can't go out. So uh, I've certainly seen a proliferation of ads on Facebook for chefs who will hosts uh, mm. Zoom calls yeah, yeah. and deliver recipe boxes mm. out to the house. Um, and that obviously will replace some grocery shopping for that week, yeah. um, as much as some of those other ideas there. So um, I think that, that creates a real opportunity for retailers, for brands, um, to find new ways of offering uh, value, offering utility to consumers, um, which... You know, we're definitely seeing companies taking advantage of mm. um, in terms of, you know, taking that opportunity, delivering innovative solutions. Uh, Axel, talk, talk to me about this relationship between brand sort of and e-com or, or shopper marketing. Historically, it's one that's um, I worked agency side for a number of years on, on different brands The the two have been very separate. Um, one one team, one shop marketing would talk to a bunch of shopper marketing people. A brand team would talk to uh, a different team, and they might be with the with the same partner. Of course, those supermarkets, in a way, have become more like media owners now. So inevitably, it's two conversations. T tell me about how those things are sitting together today. I mean, this is what you're doing day to day, right? 
Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, as you say, it used to be, I think, um, quite hard to, uh, to, to kind of blend the two and understanding how we can really integrate. I think related to what Gavin just said before, by having those opportunities popping up, um, you know, on the, on the gro in the grocery landscape, I feel like what I'm seeing now is more about how can we leverage that opportunity um, together rather than where, mm. where does it sit in the business and what team should be looking after that. I think there are so much, so many exciting opportunities that teams really take that as a kind of a new chapter to, to work together on. Um, so we're definitely seeing more integration. I think the mindset has changed um, a lot as well. Um, you know, people are being way more curious. They're definitely eager to learn. Um, they understood that it's not, um, you know, understanding online and, and how to win online is not just um, good for their brand, but also as a personal development perspective, mm. um, you know, they need to be up to date. So I think there are a lot of things um, that are helping that integration moving forward, and it definitely has accelerated. And as you said, with retailers really becoming media owners yeah. now, and, you know, we do feel like they're all going to be targeting the being the amazon of the world um <laughs> with having multiple ecosystems mm. we're having you know um loads of data that is really the the backbone of anything they activate um, and they offer brands and consumers with so i think all of that is definitely helping the team integrate a bit more it will be interesting to see um if the momentum is keeping mm. but i'm pretty confident um that that is going to be the case for the next few years and Hamer, another, well, probably the best bit about your role is you get to see a bunch of the new stuff that's coming uh, in e-com. So loads and loads of new opportunities. I'm, uh, I've I rewatched the sort of the Amazon Go promo clip, the idea that you walk into a store and you scan your phone and you pick up a load of stuff and you walk out. Of course, that's a concept that's five years old. But if you were going to design something for a post-COVID world where you want contactless and you don't necessarily want to uh, come across people, it would be like the perfect solution. So I'd love to get your take on Absolutely. that and other, other things that you think technology-wise that are that are really going to win in this new world, which is going to be more dominated by shopping online than it is in store. Uh, yeah, so I think, um, as, as you've already talked about, the, the, the contactless side of things, um, thinking about... Thinking about media, um, we've seen um, things like Twitch and TikTok. They've mm. really, really kind of taken off. Well, you know, they they it, you know, they had a reasonable following before, and I can't remember off the top of my head the stats for TikTok, but it has. I think it was almost doubled its, yeah, it's um, huge user base. Mm. You know, during during coronavirus, um, Twitch is now not just about. Um, you know, online gamers in a in a in a dark room. Yeah. In you know, in itself, it's also become much more of a platform for music and events and sporting. You know, broader sports. So, um, I think, yeah, we're going to continue to kind of see that. You know, people spending more time online because you know, who knows how long it's going to be until we're able to attend events. But it, it just opens up events to a lot more people as well. Yeah. Um, if you can, you know, so you, you don't have to physically go there anymore. You, you know, there'll be a kind of second or, or dual kind of way that people do events in the future, for example. So you'll have, you know, you might have a real world um, uh, execution, but also um, an online execution. Mm. We were getting into that. Is um, Someone was talking about, every physical event will have a digital twin so you get this sort of mm. merge of yes some people will be there but 
if you're not there, you can have a sort of an equally good experience. What do you think about things like um, subscription models, which have been so successful for lots of D2C businesses? And you, you think about um, uh, your coffee, something that you order on coffee or, or pet food or things like that. Is there a future where people want to get into subscription models and are sort of you know happy to stick with that because from a from a loyalty point of view i mean it's the sort of the gold at the end of the rainbow isn't it oh yeah definitely i mean um subscription models like you said they've been there for a while mm. um one of the trends that we've kind of been you know considering for quite a while is subscription models maybe for some of those ambient less um less exciting categories like um you know maybe like pet food toilet mm. roll um washing washing up powder um and that kind of moves more towards online um but pe- the, the time that people do spend in store is more for those engaged categories you know like fresh or um meal solutions or something a little bit more exciting so yeah i think you're right maybe subscription models for some of those bulky less um, glamorous items and then in store is really kind of for showcasing the fresh and the innovation Mm, nice gav stuff that is exciting you that is on our horizon that may not have been had we not been through a, a global pandemic i guess i'll i'll maybe speak somewhat selfishly for a second just about um you know what we've seen and heard from from our our clients and and the new types of conversations that we've been having at Adamo through the through the pandemic. I think um, echoing a lot of, of, of what particularly Axel was saying. Um, you know, making sure that um, contact with the consumer is e-commerce enabled seems to have been something where that conversation was not necessarily something that happened as standard certainly within kind of ad tech and media um you know we we we're certainly seeing with everyone that we speak to at different brands that e-commerce is it seems to be a lot more center in everything that brands is are, are thinking um and on the ad tech and kind of media and media owner side I think ad tech companies and media owners want to make sure that they are also um, providing e-commerce enabled solutions. I think those solutions have have worked really, really well, particularly in social media for D to C over the last couple of years. But that has definitely been something that has become mainstream over the last six months. And, and that's obviously, as I said, selfishly very exciting um, for Adamo and for other companies in our space. Um, Personally, you know, I'm I, I've always um, liked trying new things, um, but I think the one the other trend that started to happen th- through the pandemic, which I really like, because much as I do get excited about e-commerce and technology, I do also like you know shopping on the high street yeah. at local stores, and and I think one of the things that has happened is that there has been a, a huge groundswell of support from consumers, so trying their best. I think um, there was a stat that. Maybe it was Shopify put out there that 57% of consumers are making more effort to support local businesses mm. that have been impacted by the pandemic. And I do, you know, you can't meet going to your local butcher or bakery um, to pick up some fresh food mm. on the day that it's arrived or been cooked. Um, so, I'm, you know, I think a healthy balance of excitement about kind of both sides, both the, the new stuff that, that will inevitably come along yeah. and that we're already seeing being uh, moving into the mainstream, um, but hopefully as well with a greater level of support 
<clears throat> from the public um, a high street that still has high quality yeah. uh, local uh, retailers. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a really good point, and you and you would hope so. Um, that's all we've got time for. I mean, that's gone, gone incredibly quickly. It feels like we've only just scratched the surface. That There is one fundamental question that, that I think we do need to solve, which is a debate I got into a couple of months ago, uh, pr- probably more for uh, Axel and Hamira. Toffee Crisp, popular uh, Nestle confectionery treat. Is it a chocolate or is it a biscuit? <laughs> you know, there was, there was uh, one of my interview questions, not in Nestle actually, but in one of the electronics company I used to work for. They asked me that question at the, <laughs> at the interview. There was no right or wrong answer, obviously. Oh, we need the definitive. This is, we've got the, the, the best minds in Nestle on the podcast, and uh, but there is no definitive. I, I, I'm sort of blown away. It's chocolate I, all the way for me. <laughs> Oh, chocolate bar for me. I would say whatever whatever the consumer wants it to be. So if you want it to be a biscuit, it's a biscuit. If you want it to be a chocolate bar, it's a chocolate bar. Superb. What a wonderful way to end. Thank you all so much for giving up some time this morning. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. The IAB UK podcast. Homera and Axel from Nestle. Uh, and Gavin from Adimo there. I thought it was fascinating to hear from a brand like Nestle on their take around what's changed and interestingly what they think hasn't changed either. I love the insight into Axel's role within the business and this sort of unit that they've created uh, uh, around e-com and around innovation and obviously a bit gutted that we didn't get the definitive answers we wanted on Toffee Crisps but there you go. Uh, Just know that we'll continue to ask the big questions on your behalf here on the IABUK podcast. if you want to listen to more slightly ridiculous episodes uh, like this one, well, they're not ridiculous, uh, you can find them all at ibk.com forward slash connected or wherever you get your podcast from. We just don't talk about confectionery in all of them. Maybe that's a future theme. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for listening. IAB UK, building a sustainable future for digital advertising.